I'm Jay Edidin. And I'm Miles Stokes. And normally this would be Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, where we walk you through the ins, outs, retcons, time travel, and clones of comics' greatest superhero soap opera, but today, you're listening to Hawk Talk. That's right, it's Talk About Hawks. Uh, asterisk, lower caption in corner, not actually about Hawks, asterisk, Earth, asterisk, Midgard. The point no, is- No, no, it's still about Hawks, it's just that every time we decide what constitutes Hawks. Okay, so hawks are sort of like the Ur concept under which all concepts uh, can be gathered. Yeah, it's it's a very solipsistic podca- podcast. And as you may have noticed, uh, this is a weird one. We, every fourth week, instead of explaining the X-Men, talk about random stuff and we don't edit at all and we just throw it onto the internet. And that is what we're doing here. So as I often do, I will disclaim, if this is your first episode of Jay and Mouse Explain the X-Men, you have to fight. I mean, uh... This may not be the best choice for a first episode. I mean, it's a fine choice for a first episode as long as you're capable of not considering the first episode particularly emblematic of the whole. I feel like there are a lot of otherwise good television shows that work that way, or sometimes the entire first season. Hmm. Yeah, I guess so. But also, this is like walking into a bunch of actors talking in a green room and assuming you've seen the play. Pretty much, yeah. But anyway, uh, we are recording this episode now on what would normally be theoretically a skip week, just because it's a weird year, and we like checking in with each other and with all of you, and hopefully at least some of you will enjoy that as well. Yeah, Hawk Talk is our compromise, because we were going to do three episodes on, one off, and a couple of folks asked us if we'd be cool with doing doing just just doing regular weekly episodes to maintain continuity in these troubled and increasingly time slippery times. And we were like, well, maybe because they're really, really high prep. So we decided we were going to do the fourth episode was just going to be no prep, no editing, no particularly intense planning and generally no good choices. No good choices. The Jay and Miles explain the X-Men story. Which brings me to our topic this week, surviving the holidays. Yeah, and also just uh, the slippery time thing you mentioned in general, because 2020, despite being full of some pretty rough stuff, has kind of flown by. And for me, at least, various holidays and rituals and events have been have been able to uh, hang on to the whole concept of linear time. That has been... I don't know if that's so much been the case for me. I think it helps that I live somewhere with very, very defined seasons. Like, I know Portland has those, but but New England is sort of, if, if you grow up in the United States in an Anglophone, New England is where you get your sense of what seasons look like. That makes sense, yeah. And I mean, in Portland, we, we have them to an extent, certainly more than, you know, where we both mostly grew up in, in Florida. Uh, the main thing I've remembered this year, season-wise, is that fall lasts for approximately 45 seconds before going straight into gray, cold, rainy winter, which is no fun to run in. Ah, uh, see, here, it's been raining on and off, but it's been pretty glorious out. Like, I spent a fair chunk of this afternoon in a tree. That's that's a good place to spend a fair chunk of an afternoon. One of the advantages, we're, we're back out on um, in, in Connecticut. We've been back in, in Queens at home for, for a month and change. And then we headed back out here and basically are doing the, the children, sheltering in place um, social distancing thing with T's parents because they're local to the area and because it makes a lot more sense to be out here if we don't want to be in contact with hordes of people who are running around without masks. Um, Because while infection rates are technically higher here, it's also a place where it's much, much easier to do things like get food and prescriptions without coming into contact with large numbers of other people. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. It is, and it's 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 definitely a way in which we are incredibly, incredibly lucky and privileged that we have this option and that they have space for us. And it's also where the chickens are. So, you know, that's, that is also a massive, massive, massive plus. Uh, speaking of holidays, I actually have ordered a Christmas present for the chickens. It's accidentally a Christmas present. But... Just a, a gift that happens to be happening around the time of Christmas? Yeah, I've been thinking about enrichment and things like that, because in the winter, they're in a, a smaller outdoor enclosure. They've got a, a coop that's an entirely inside structure. But because there are a lot of very hungry wild animals who wander around and um, fairly domestic chickens are a delightful and easy treat, they the space they're in has to be a little bit more enclosed than their usual run, which is really capacious, but open on top. So in fact, fairly specifically to to deter hawks, Ah. Among other things, um, they're in a, a smaller space that's less interesting. 
and I've been I've been trying to think of of good good vehicles for enrichment and things they might like. And um, so chickens apparently get super super into xylophones. I I didn't know that, and my life is now better for having learned it. Well, they like things that make noises. They like things they can interact with. They like things they can peck. So if you get them like a little tiny kid's glockenspiel xylophone, you scatter corn on it so they peck it and they get a sense of the noises it makes, they'll play on it. And they'll just like hang out and, and interact with it. And it's apparently a pretty good standard enrichment source. So I, I got them a little xylophone. I hope they're not right outside your bedroom window or something. No, no. They're they're very far across the a fairly large yard, which is, is part of how they've ended up largely my responsibility. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I, I'm excited for, on the chicken's behalf. I hope Rosencrantz and Guildenstern enjoy composing like middle school music class level pieces. I don't know if there's going to be any composition, but I suspect they'll at least enjoy interacting with it. They like novelty and they like new things that aren't cardboard boxes. That's reasonable. Although cardboard boxes do have a lot going for them as well. I don't know if they'd like smaller cardboard boxes, but I was I was cleaning out and switching out the hay in their coop the other day, and I brought in a large cardboard box, and they were absolutely terrified of it. Maybe they know something we don't. So anyway, holidays. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, I mean, I know we can we could sort of do this a couple different ways. We could just sort of let the conversation meander as it does, or we could go in a roughly over the course of the year chronological fashion. I mean, obviously, we're not going to be covering every single little holiday. Um, I mean, International Donut Day is just fine and all, but we kind of already did Halloween. And I was thinking, just given the time of year and given how central in everything this stuff is, we could basically just talk about winter holidays. So, like, Thanksgiving through New Year. Uh, that seems pretty reasonable. Although I do have a really good Passover story that I want to share at some point during the episode, different time of the year, but we're going to get there. I was going to say, but what will we do in spring for Hawk Talk? <laughs> well, well, we'll figure something out then. That's a problem for future Jay and Miles. Fair enough. Fuck those guys. But yeah, I mean, as you said in our last, I think it was our last Hawk Talk, we talked about a lot of fall holidays and traditions and stuff like that. Uh, obviously, we just got through Thanksgiving, which is a very culturally complicated holiday. Um, I do appreciate the gluttony aspect of it, though, as much as that was uh, significantly less so than the usual multi-household potluck that I like to do. Yeah, for me, Thanksgiving has always kind of been a fairly low-key potluck holiday was pretty much what my family did growing up. It was what we did for years and years and years and years. Um, it's been a really big gear shift for me since moving to New York and getting together with T because her family does holidays like capital H. Oh, gotcha. Are we talking all the Christian ones, all the major ones, all a different category of ones? Well, they're, they're compli religiously complicated because they're, they're, they're Christian, but also both of her parents' families are crypto Jewish going back a few going back like generations, um, which has has interesting complicated aspects um, to it. But no, like they do they do the serious, lots of Christmas decorating, lots of Christmassy like they they do the they do like cultural Christmas, not religious Christmas, but it's still Christmas. And so and Thanksgiving is always always a big thing and has always been a big thing. Like because for years and years and since long before I knew her, um, T's Christmas present to her grandparents was that. T and her mom's main Christmas present to her grandparents was that she planned and cooked and like she takes the week before it off to do this, um, an incredibly elaborate Christmas dinner and her mom buys all the groceries for it. And um, this is this is the first year in in I think maybe in her life, but definitely in in a very long time that she hasn't done that. That her grandmother hasn't been here or we haven't been and she hasn't been at, at her grandmother's place for Christmas. So it was, it was just the four of us. It was me and T and her parents. Um, so it was, it was much quieter this year, which brought it down to not too much more intense than the levels I'm used to, but also no one watched Flash Gordon. Yeah, yeah. That's always been a tradition here in Portland with, uh, with our social circle locally. And I don't know why Flash Gordon, the movie, became associated with Thanksgiving, but it's a really great movie, and it does involve Brian Blessed opening his mouth very, very wide and yelling things, and any movie that involves that and a Queen soundtrack, you can't go wrong. Is it because of slightly racially, well, intensely racially dubious white savior um, narratives? I mean, maybe. I guess you could certainly interpret Flash Gordon that way, except, like, aliens instead of uh, non-white humans. I mean... We can talk about racial coding and being the merciless at some point, but... There is that. Man, what is it about... Okay, I know what it is about older media, is that it comes from societies with very problematic elements, or time periods, rather. 
but or more explicitly problematic elements than ours generally articulate. Like if there's any major, major, major shift in racism in media, it's gone from more accept. It, it's not that it's less acceptable to be racist in media. It's that it's less acceptable to be overtly racist. I suppose so. Ah, uh, the joy of mostly being able to appreciate older media by not thinking too hard about it. Eh, what can you do? I'm sorry, I, I just totally ruined everything, which is what I usually do with holidays. I am not a holiday person. Yeah, I know you have a complicated relationship with, with a lot of them, winter holidays especially. I do, which is why I think you should talk about holidays first, because you're the fun one. Uh, so, what's that? The, the joys of us, recover, of us recording this live is um, we... Sometimes when the internet gets weird, we can't hear each other one more time. Oh, I was going to say, I do, which is why I think we should talk about your holidays first, because you're the fun one. Oh, okay. The fun one. Is that my official role so, in the podcast? Yeah. So you are... D d I know you celebrate Christmas. Do you celebrate Hanukkah still at this point on your own? Uh, not particularly. So I guess some background there. This has come up occasionally on the podcast before, but uh, I come from, I would say mixed faith, but there's really only faith on, on one side of my family. Uh, my father grew up Lutheran, and so Lutheran. Yes, his parents were, were very Lutheran, uh, and Lutheran as fuck. He, That's how they describe. It. He drifted away from the actual religious aspects of that pretty early on, um, but kept the cultural aspect. So, from his side, we had the cultural aspects of Christianity. From my mom's side, we had kind of all of the aspects of, of Judaism. I, I want to share in context of your Lutheran grandparents the story that I just never fucking get over, which is when they tried to basically spirit you away and have you secretly baptized as a kid. They they did, yeah. I, I don't know many details of that story. I was very small, you see. Um, I know that it was not successful, uh, so I suppose my soul is damned. Uh, sorry, Grandma and Grandpa. I know you tried. Well, you've 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 got two though, because you've got you got the patrilineal Christian soul, and you've got the the um, matrilineal. Jewish thing going on. And your parents, so you, you were pretty much raised Jewish, but celebrating both sets of holidays. Yeah, and it's interesting because the holidays we celebrated at home were mostly the more traditionally Christian ones. And I think part of that is that I went to Sunday school and I went to Hebrew school. And so all the Jewish holidays were kind of covered there. So we would still do, you know, candle lighting and, and prayers for the major Jewish holidays at home. But the ones I really remember are the Christian holidays. Uh, for those listeners not familiar, Sunday school is generally like when... Jewish kids do religious education classes, not like church Sunday school. Uh, right. Yes, yes, I should clarify. Uh, or rather, you should clarify. Thank you. So as far as the winter holiday thing, um, we definitely did Christmas big. And part of that was the aforementioned Lutheran grandparents. Um, my grandparents also sort of came of age during the Depression. So gift giving was very, very important to especially my grandmother, who I think was the one of them that grew up poorer. And so, yeah, we would get together with my grandparents. There would just be scads and scads of presents, which weren't necessarily presents that people would be super into. I think part of it was just the act of giving, even if the gifts themselves were not as deliberately thought out, which, I mean, I don't know. I, I No judgment in either direction there. Yeah, your grandma got me lingerie once, and it was real awkward. <laughs> she did. That's true. <laughs> uh, but I mainly remember the... The sort of aesthetic is the wrong word because it's, it's both aesthetic and just the general emotional connotations of the season. Just that level of festivity, listening to a bunch of Mannheim steamroller and electric, not electric light orchestra, the, the other sort of guitar Christmas band. Uh, it was Electric Six, you know, I think they did a Christmas album actually. It was great. Really? Uh, yes, recently. Um, huh. But, you know, that, the various uh, smells of cinnamon and pine trees and stuff, the red and green decorations everywhere, the candles, the lights, like, I really dug that. And I think those are the elements that I've definitely kept in doing very secular Christmases as an adult. That's actually become one of my favorite holidays, just because for me, it's become about getting a bunch of friends together. Well, uh, okay, not so much this year at all, but in, in most years. And just having those kind of cultural, secular, festive signifiers, you know? So since we tend to go back to media a lot, do you have, and, and a lot of people have like specific Thanksgiving and Christmas viewing traditions or, or seasonal stuff. 
do you have those? What are yours? Like the things that you go back to, that you read, that you do, that you play. Um, I, I don't think either of us is ever going to beat our high school friend, Dave, who played Parasite Eve on the days it took place every year. I still want to do that. Because yeah, Parasite Eve, the old PlayStation RPG, uh, takes place over seven days around Christmas. And you could theoretically play each chapter on the day that it occurs. And, and someday I'll actually do that when I remember. I respect that so deeply. Oh, me too. That was a great game. Yeah. Uh, but, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, you and I... Th- I think have some overlap there just because we spent so many Christmases uh, together. Um, but yeah, watching Christmas movies and stuff that was, and, and holiday specials of Christmas cartoons or rather holiday specials of cartoons in general. Um, that was something we did for years and years with friends. Um, for me, I got to go back to a couple things. One of them, I think you should talk about, which is the Christmas episode of the justice league cartoon. Oh yes. I will talk about that at great length. I mean, I don't know if we have great length. It's just one episode, but or at least with great fervor. How's that? Oh, okay. Rapidly, but rapidly, but earnestly. That Jane Miles explained the X Men story. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a really fun one, and like it manages to have space bar fights and giving sweaters to Martians and stuff capture what I enjoy about the secularized warmth of Christmas as less a religious holiday and more just a. a but I guess just cultural holiday. Okay, so so what are what are the things you go back to? Do you have do you have you know traditions or rituals around those? Like there are people who who watch It's a Wonderful Life on a certain day every year. I know we used to watch um, years ago. We and Allison and Shannon used to watch Hogfather every Christmas Eve, um, and Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Um, not specific ones around Christmas. Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Also, wow. Droppo, you are the laziest man on Mars. Um, yeah, listeners, you got to pretend that there's outro music this episode because we're not we're not going to bother putting it in because the Hawk Talk rules. But um, if 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 it were, it would definitely be "Let's Have a Patrick Swayze Christmas." That being, of course, from the Mystery Science Theater three thousand episode of Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Um, the one thing I try to do every year these days is actually not on Christmas, but is on the winter solstice. So one of my very favorite video games is Night in the Woods. I'm actually pondering a Night in the Woods tattoo pretty soon. And it has a couple of kind of downloadable prequel chapters that sort of kind of connect to the main game. And one of them is called Lost Constellation. And Lost Constellation is a longest night fable that the main character's grandfather is telling her. That's like the framing device. In the world of Night in the Woods, the big winter holiday, night, which is the winter solstice, which is, of course, the longest night of the year. And you tell sort of ghost stories that are also very Christmassy feeling. But this one is about a this astronomer woman who is in the woods in sort of like the primeval mythological times and has to um, talk to cats and build snowmen and come to terms with mortality and divinity and demons and stuff in order to, well, I don't want to give it away, but um, she, she has a reason for being there. And it is a beautiful, beautiful fable. And it's sad, and it's silly, and it's profound, and it's scary, and those are all things that Deep Winter feels like to me at its best. And so playing that on this purely seasonal, not religious passing of of time occasion on the solstice itself just feels like a great way to kind of ring in that part of the year. Nice. Yeah. Uh, So... That's my main media thing. I mean, other than that, you know, I'll always watch the Muppet uh, Family Christmas special or, you know, the, the J. Michael Straczynski written Ghostbusters cartoon episode where they have to reenact the uh, Christmas Carol story, lest history be changed into a non-Christmas compatible timeline. I always forget that J. Michael Straczynski and Peter David wrote like a lot of Ghostbusters, the animated series, or I guess the real Ghostbusters as it was called. Huh. But yeah, for me, I think Lost Constellation is is the big one. What about you? I know there were some things at least that you used to watch every year around Christmas. Yeah, so I have a fraught relationship with Christmas. I grew up like you having really big family Christmases. Like 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 Miles, I come from a mixed mixed religion family. Um my dad's family is Jewish, my mom's family is is lapsed Catholic. I guess there's one actually observing Catholic still in it. But um but is is Christian and um our Christmases growing up were generally very big and very um 
you know, a lot of lot of traditional trappings and really horrible. Like there was a lot of lot of lot of complicated, awful family stuff. A lot of um, yeah, they were they were not good. They were not they are they are not fun, happy memories. And they defined a lot of my relationship with Christmas. And the one Christmas ritual that I had as a kid growing up um, was every year making gingerbread cookies and gingerbread houses with my best friend who died of an overdose 15 years ago. So um, I have a lot of trouble with Christmas. And also there's a lot about Christmas that I have a lot of trouble with in general. Like there's, there's a lot of obligation to feel a specific way and emote a specific way. And also to do those things in, in circumstances that tend to be socially and sensory overwhelming and with again with a lot of obligation both on specific behavior but more on mood and i really struggle with that and i've really you know i've, I've had a lot of people close to me who really wanted to fix my relationship with christmas and whom i then perpetually disappointed which made it worse and <laughs> it was great um no it wasn't great so i have um at the same time though i, I like hanukkah i celebrate hanukkah um thanksgiving's cool thanksgiving's pretty thanksgiving's kind of an incidental holiday for me like it's a thing I do depending on where I am and who I'm with, but it's not something I'm deeply attached to. Christmas, at this point, um, I like I like doing Christmas with my parents because we do incredibly low-key Christmas where we basically just do whatever the hell we feel like it and sometimes exchange gifts, which is great. Um, Christmas with my wife's family tends to be lovely and sweet and very involved and they they do really large scale gift exchange like it's a big big deal for them um and i don't really do that i'm not really comfortable doing that so i knit a lot for everyone um but i have but they're they're also pretty cool about me gently noping out a lot um which but i have i have one holiday christmas related ritual that is mine and that is that every year on december 10th i usually but not always build a blanket fort or something like that and i watched the first three community christmas episodes only the first three because the other two or the other ones can you know, fuck off and um the justice league christmas special because that and if if you've if you've seen the second uh community christmas special you know why it's december 10th which is also the first night of hanukkah this year so that's going to be fun hmm. um and i usually try to make make gingerbread from my my friend's mom's old recipe so I really love those. And I, I've gotten, I've actually gotten really into, into bad Netflix Christmas movies in the last few years, but I love those, those three things specifically because the community holiday specials are, are weird and amazing in community episodes, but Abbott's Uncontrollable Christmas especially speaks a lot to the ritual of Christmas and the role of the, the the role and the double-edged sort of expectations around it in ways that i really like also it has a pterodactyl as i recall it does have a christmas pterodactyl and actually so t and i have a christmas tree it's not going up this year but we got we got the most artificial looking tree we could because we both like we both basically feel pretty strongly that if you can get something artificial it should be really artificial so we have hmm. we have a metallic tinsley tree and uh we have we have a christmas pterodactyl like with the wreath around it and everything to go on top um but I love the Justice League holiday episode, Comfort and Joy, for exactly the opposite reason, because it is the most goddamn earnest thing I've seen in my life. And it's wonderful. So it's, it's got three stories that run in parallel through it. And one of them is Flash teaming up with the Ultra Humanite to bring a toy to a bunch of orphans, which is delightful. And one of them is Superman taking taking the Martian Manhunter home to the Kents for Christmas, which is also delightful and deeply charming. And I think one of the best Superman like character pieces and character bits on the entire show. And the third one, which really gets into the true meaning of Christmas, is Green Lantern and Hot Girl getting in a bar fight in space. And I just I love it. It's just it's incredibly wonderful. The other thing I, I go back to, and Miles, if, if you want, if you could link to this with the post, that would be cool. Um, it's not actually a Christmas special. It's it's a very short video by Jay Smooth, um, a basically talking about the onus to the incredible social pressure and onus to performative joy this time of year, which I try to watch every year this time of year because I find it incredibly reassuring and helpful. And you may too, if like me, you struggle with a relationship with Christmas. Mm -hmm. I'll 
But I want to talk. I want to talk about holiday movies, okay. though, because this is this is a new passion. Yeah, you just spent like twenty five minutes before we recorded going through this astonishingly complicated Christmas movie that involved like alternate universes and time travel and fetus ghosts that were not actually the adversary in this case. No, he was not a fetus ghost. He was specifically a dead baby ghost because there wasn't a version. He was he was from the universe where he would have been a dead baby and not an aborted fetus. I was concerned about that and the politics of that, but it's pretty clear if you go back. Okay, so we don't have 25 minutes for you to go through the entire thing, but what's like the elevator pitch of this astonishing film you were telling me about? Okay, this movie is on Netflix. It is called, um, oh, it's, it's called A New York Christmas Wedding. It's a very generic name. It is an incredibly generic name. It should be a Queen's Christmas Wedding because one of its main themes and part of the reason that I, I like it is that Queen's is fucking awesome because it is. It is, is in fact, the best borough. And it's, it's, it's delightful. It is gay as hell. It is specifically about a woman who ended up having a massive fight and breaking off contact with her best friend on the day that she was going to tell her she had feelings for her when they were both teenagers and is about to marry a dude and an angel intervenes and it's complicated. And the angel is also the ghost of her, by that point, dead best friend um also dead baby it's re it's complicated this is like it's this terrible. is some summer's that, gray level shit here no because that detail is totally gratuitous and they really should have cut it out of the movie um oh. i recommend ignoring that part because everything else in the movie all the gay stuff is great it's um it's an extremely good like it it, it made me cry and i didn't resent it and then immediately after that there was the whole big dead angel baby revelation and i then i did resent it but um it's 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 really good and it has um it's 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 just a, it's a really good really heartfelt movie with really plausible feeling and really human feeling relationships um it's got a you know netflix all ages appropriate lesbian sex scene that is the least male gaze sex scene i have ever seen shot between two conventionally pretty actresses um, and it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's lovely. It's sweet. And then there's this like fucking weirdness stuck in. It's like, if you make, it's like someone makes a really good cocktail and then just like drops some Play-Doh in it. Why? Why would you do that? Huh? Yeah. Okay. But it's, it's, it's worth watching. I, it's, it's, it's worth watching if you know that there's going to be this, this, this batshit weird bit of cosmology thrown into what's otherwise kind of a reverse. It's a wonderful life. It's a horrible life? No, because then there's time travel and thing. It, I think it's more like it could be a wonderful life. Gaze of future past? No, but that was actually the name of a dance party I went to. That's a phenomenal name for a dance party. Right? It's not quite as good as the burlesque <laughs> show Days of Future Ass, but it's good. But I was going to say, as far as time markers, the weird thing for me is that it's not so much the rituals that have clearly delineated this space and time as, like, intense seasonal dread. <laughs> That's an intense seasonal phrase. Yeah. That actually reminds me of one of my other favorite Christmas specials. I haven't seen this in a few years, but there's an episode of Batman the Brave and the Bold that really speaks deeply to me. I know the one you're talking about, and wow. So Red Tornado um, is a robot or an android or whatever the hell they're calling He's he, Humanoid, robot, brain, has thinks and feels. Um, He's basically the DC Universe's equivalent of the Vision, but with tornado powers instead of phasey powers. Anyway, he wants to understand the Christmas spirit. So he goes to the person least qualified to help him understand it, Batman, who is is even worse at Christmas than I am, which is something that I, I take some degree of comfort It's kind of like that thing where and, I'm very pleased that Wolverine is one of the only men shorter than me. Mm, fair. Um, but no, no, Batman is worse at Christmas than anybody. So he he goes to Batman. Batman is no help. He asks a bunch of kids what the Christmas spirit is, and they're like, oh, it's this, you know, the, this tingly feeling you get when something amazing is happening. And over the course of the episode, what the vision I eventually absolutely identifies as the Christmas spirit based on these descriptions is the feeling of all of his circuits overloading as he's about to explode. That one really speaks to you, huh? That one really speaks to me, like on a deeply personal level. I also really love the Misfits Christmas episode, the the BBC show, not not the villains from Gem and the Holograms, 
which has um whose whose entire trailer entire next episode trailer is one of the characters looking at the camera and saying really seriously let's kill jesus wow um and there, there's also one of one of the best um unexpected unexpected placenta moments in in mainstream television i feel like unexpected placenta would be a really good name for a really bad band I feel like it would definitely Jessica would have to have to run it. Um, it would have to be like her side project from um, the oh god, I'm blanking on the name of the band, and I feel like a jerk because I have their albums and I love them. I have no idea. Pirate shanties, amazingness. Oh, the PDX broadsides. Yes, the broadsides. God, this is this is my brain is leaking out into seasonal se- seasonal joy is like like this 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 weird. I don't know. Anyway, no brain, but it would have to be Jessica's side project because when she's not being pirate chanties, she is a very fairly serious uh, expert placental researcher. Nice. I, where do you go from, from placentas? I, I don't know. I mean, I guess a lot of places. I mean, I think we can go to one of the all time classic Christmas movies, Jacob's Ladder. Jacob's Ladder, one of my favorite, not exactly a horror movies. One of the biggest aesthetic inspirations for my silent hill nice transition that is like a that, that is a our podcast worthy segue right there thank you uh yeah jacob's ladder is a phenomenal movie it's weird and disturbing and the deleted scenes would have made it a better movie but there's no director's cut they remade it a couple of years ago and the remake didn't look very good Whoa. i haven't seen it um i guess it's more of like an yeah. actiony thrillery movie which is not those are not the qualities i liked about the original jacob's ladder but it does take place during christmas and santa claus santa claus does mug a guy at one point good yeah there's also always, um, speaking of Christmas media and movies that I pointedly avoided, I feel like the thing we we totally missed is one of the best Christmas-adjacent things of all time, which I was actually thinking on, of reading on the relevant days this year, and that's The Dark is Rising. The Dark is Rising. We talked about that in our, our books-focused version of Hawk Talk a while back. But yeah, The Dark is Rising, which is the second book in The Dark is Rising sequence, does indeed take place all around Christmas. And it's so Christmassy. So much of what I want Christmas to be is the feel of that book complete with magic and scary things yeah i love that book and i kind of really love the version of christmas in it actually too agreed yeah i mean it's it's very family oriented it's a very family oriented book but it's also all about i don't know individual one's individual relationship with both family and with holidays and with meaning and with symbolism and also with sorcery as the case may be with fighting ancient with evils. fighting ancient evils with uh one of the things I like about The Dark is Rising is that it plays with time. It plays with the past and the present and the development of the former into the latter. There's a lot of a lot of very subtle, low-key time travel in it that, I don't know, does feel like winter and like Christmas to me. And that's a weird thing to say, I realize, but for the same reason that Christmas feels like ghosts, like Christmas feels like time travel. No, I think I think that's a winter thing to some extent, and I think it's got to have something to do with snow because snow obscures detail, and it obscures architectural detail, and it, it obscures landmarks and the things that we think of as defining spaces, and the ways that we define spaces because they're construction based, because they're function based, are also very much the ways we define time relative to those spaces. That's a really good point. I've never made that connection before, but I think you're right. And that's interesting, especially because, okay, I know you weren't born in Florida, but we both spent most of our childhoods and adolescences there, and you don't get snow there. You don't get really no. much in the way of seasons. You get summer and slightly less summer over the course of the year. But at the same time, just that understanding of traditional New England winter is just such a cultural thing that I think I at least still associated it with the holidays and such, even if I didn't actually see it until I was in college. Yeah. It's amazing how deep those images and those ideals and like that greeting card picture runs in, in our culture. It wasn't a thing that I'd ever thought of until I was here in winter at one point and there was snow and I was looking out the window and I was like, holy shit, this is a landscape that I don't think of as real. Like this is something that is as, set in my mind as like a zillion other things that I think of as existing primarily in fantasy that I grew up on. I'm reminded of a friend of mine here in Portland who uh, thought that tumbleweeds only existed in cartoons until somewhat late in her life. 
Yeah, well, there's there's the whole armadillo thing, too. Armadillo thing? Well, armadillos... So, armadillos are all over really old horror movies. I had no idea. Yeah, no, because they, they were this weird, weird animal that no one had really seen. And so you occasionally get stories about people, um, usually not modern stories, but encountering this animal who they thought was like a made-up prop thing invented for horror movies, like in the dark, on the highway. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, I, I certainly see armadillos on the highway sometimes, but they're not doing so hot when I see them there. Yeah, no, I, I had seen, I in Florida, I'd grown up seeing armadillos fairly regularly, but I think the first time I saw a live armadillo, I was in my teens. I'm reminded, uh, so I used to go to the Florida Folk Festival every year with my father and stepmother, and um, there was this one kind of like uh, Florida-specific comedy folk singer whose name I do not recall at all, but he had this song called The Graveyard of the Armadillos. Oeo, sing oeo oeo, sing oeo where the grass doesn't grow. Sing oeo, sing oeo oeo, it's the graveyard of the armadillos. It went on. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, armadillos aside, although the armored armadillo from Mega Man X is one of my favorite video game bosses, I feel like before we run out of time, I do want to talk about a couple other holidays. I know this is largely about the winter holidays and stuff, but I feel <laughs> like we should give some love to the Jewish side of our families and talk about probably my favorite Jewish holiday, and I think maybe yours as well, Passover. I really like the High Holy Days too, but Passover is probably my favorite in practice. Passover is pretty great. For one thing, it's weird and metal as hell. I mean, the myth about it involves uh, God striking down Egyptians with all sorts of incredibly specifically themed plagues, and then the uh, Israelites uh, running the hell away um, while eating bread that doesn't rise. I love the specificity of the, the Passover story mythologically. So I saw a chart at one point of Jewish holidays organized by, with the categories, they tried to kill us, they failed, let's eat, and trees. And every single holiday takes at least one of those boxes. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. I mean, uh, Passover is like the first three of them, basically. No, Passover is all of them, because it's also a spring festival. Oh, I guess that's true, yeah. I think that, that is more, more Sukkot. But Passover... Okay, so for anybody unfamiliar who didn't grow up Jewish or who hasn't been exposed to that, um, pa Passover is fucking. It awesome. is, and it's celebrated largely as this very lengthy ritual meal. And you go through the Haggadah, which goes through the Passover story and has a bunch of prayers and songs related to it. And there are different food parts interspersed throughout. The ritual meal is based on retelling the story, but also ritualized questions and answers. And it's based very heavily structurally, and. Um, superficially on, on Greek symposia. This is going to be important to the story that I think Miles is going to tell. One of the aspects that it, it takes from Greek symposia is, is the ritualistic space drinking of multiple glasses of wine. Right. And I grew up uh, within Reform Judaism, which is like the sort of super chill, don't go too hardcore into it uh, version of Judaism. I'm sure I'm, I apologize if I offended anybody that way. That was just my personal experience of Reform Judaism. It is a ritualistically flexible. Yes. And one of the flexibilities is that um, the way we did Passover did not involve giving children four full glasses of wine. Yeah, I mean, the way we did generally, adults also didn't get four full glasses of wine. There, there's a prescribed volume of wine that you're supposed to fill the glasses with. And for the most part, Jews who aren't extremely observant ignore that and fill their glasses much, much less. However. Or use grape juice or, you know, whatever, whatever works for right. them. However, there was a very brief period of time when I was, I don't know, like 14 or 15 or something, when I was dating a girl from an Orthodox Jewish family. Like, Was she Orthodox? I thought her family was like full, was, was Hasidic. Uh, not Hasidic, no. They were Orthodox. So not okay. the most hardcore version, but pretty hardcore. More hardcore than I was familiar with anyway. Without going into too much detail, this girl and I being, you know, 14 or 15, we spent uh, much of our time together uh in specific directions and so by the time we got to this big ritual meal where all of her orthodox relatives were there who i was meeting for the first time i had this giant goddamn like almost black dark hickey on the side of my neck i have i had long hair then just like i have it now and so i tried to brush my hair over it this girl's mom tried to help me make it lighter by putting like ice on it nothing worked it was super obvious there was nothing i could do i didn't have a
Zoom. Oh, no, there you go. Okay, sorry, you froze. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, the internet. Uh, hopefully it'll come through in the final recording. We'll see. But I tried to be... Uh, I think you left off when you were talking about the hickey. You had tried everything. You didn't have a turtleneck. Nothing right. Happened. So I just tried to be very quiet and polite meeting these these Orthodox relatives. And uh, I don't know how it went, especially because they did believe this family in doing four full glasses of wine, even for children. And I was not a child. I was a young teenager, but still I had like no alcohol in my entire life. So I was getting loopier and loopier and just trying to keep things under control uh, over the course of the meal. It was terrifying. This was the most horror movie Passover I ever experienced. Um, it makes for a great story now at the time though, it was awful. I was going to say, I don't think of it as a very horror movie holiday, but it is. It's a totally horror movie holiday. Like, literally, you put blood on your... There, there's a whole part about putting blood on your doorpost so that the angel of death will pass over your house when he's slaughtering all the firstborn. Um, my my best Passover story is more recent, and it is um, also much less fraught. So our first Passover in Queens, we didn't know anybody. We were trying to figure out what to do. And I randomly met this woman while we were both standing and being slightly overwhelmed in um, the, the Passover aisle at a grocery store where there were more varieties of matzah than I had ever seen in one place. And matzah being she and her husband being unleavened and they, bread that you, you eat during Passover since the Jews who were escaping Egypt didn't have time to let their bread rise. Dude, did you know rye matzah is a thing? Rye matzah? Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah, New York is magical. It's it's a very good place to be Jewish. But um, <laughs> in, in terms of culinary options, especially, like you can buy things that aren't managed Evans bread. It's amazing. But anyway, so we're, when we we're, we get to talking, and she, her, her family's also fairly new. Um, she and her husband, and they're, they're three fairly young kids. And she's like, do you, do you want to you know, come to Passover together? And we're like, and I was like, yeah, sure. So we decide we're going to do this, and we go over, and they're great, and we have a really good time, and it's a super low-key. It's the kind of Seder that you have when there's a three-year-old. <laughs> um, so very low-key. And early on <laughs> they're talking. We're, we're talking to the kid, and, and her mom's like, so, so, so can you tell us what Passover's about? And this kid thinks for a minute. She gets super serious. And she informs us very solemnly. Moses gave Pharaoh a frog. <laughs> I mean, she's not wrong. No, but it's such a good takeaway. And it's also so easy to picture. Right. Just here you go, bro. Stop being a jerk to my people. You can have this frog. No, just like Moses walking in and Pharaoh being like, what do you want? And Moses just sort of opening his hands and there being a frog there. Pharaoh just staring at it. Frog staring back up at him. Moses just standing there, and the Pharaoh staring at the frog, and the frog <laughs> staring back up at him. And like it goes on for about for like a long minute, and the scene fades out. Speaking of which, Prince of Egypt is a fucking great movie. Never seen it. Okay. Okay, so it's it's got problems, but it's pretty damn well done, and it has incredibly good music. It's it's one of the brief series of, of fairly terrific DreamWorks animated features, along with amazing bisexual threesome vehicle The Road to El Dorado. A, a movie I've also never seen, but apparently really need to. Oh yeah, it's 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 pretty much canon there. Nice. I approve. It's lovely. It's it's a delightful movie. Um but Prince of Egypt is, is a lot of fun and it's really enjoyable. And I I I know it has flaws, but it's 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 the the surprise of there being like a really good, really remarkably restrained Passover film was pretty cool. Uh, how hard do they go into the over-the-top heavy metal wizard aspects of the holiday? Pretty hard. Oh, okay, but but it's it's it it also goes into to cross-cultural adoption, identity, complicated stuff. Neat. Oh, which you got to figure is 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 a big Moses theme. I mean, along with giving Pharaoh a frog. Along with giving Pharaoh. <laughs> so talking about spring holidays, um, one of the ones that my family did purely culturally, I didn't even know Easter had anything to do with a Jesus story until I was an older child, um, was Easter. Yes. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, I just knew that there were candy and bunnies and stuff, and that was it. And my father would hide Easter baskets somewhere in the house for my brother and I. We each had a different colored one. And there would be a bunch of candy. I love Easter candy. I love Passover candy even more, though. Uh, there would be a bunch of candy, and there would also be, like, little presents geared toward our interests. And one year, and this is very significant to the podcast, I got an Easter basket with my first 90s X-Men comics in them. 
I don't recall whether it was X-Men Volume 2, number 5, or number 6, or both. I think it might have been both. And those are issues with Omega Red and Maverick. They first show up for, at the same time. And there's Matsuo doing terrible stuff and Fenris and drama between Banshee and Moira McTaggart and Rogue and Gambit are on a date and it cuts away to the Mojoverse. I hadn't really read X-Men at this point. I'd read a few things here and there. My father had read me some comics, but these issues were incomprehensible and I was so hooked. I had to know what all of this colorful, bizarre nonsense was about. And so I believe it was the Christmas after this that I read through that long box of X-Men my father gave me. But in some ways, that Easter basket and those two issues right in the middle of like 12 different X-Men storylines were my gateway to X-Men fandom. So we did Easter and Easter was actually the one day that my mom and I usually went to church, which eh, was sort of a holiday ritual thing. Like I really tried to care about religious and I, I, I tried to 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 do the 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 multi-religion thing but ultimately identity wise and in terms of what what actually speaks to me personally um i am fairly solidly jewish <laughs> um but we, we would go to church and and we did easter baskets and that was always kind of a fraught experience with me because i had as a kid and it's something i'm much better about as an adult but as a kid i found it really upsetting to eat or destroy anything that looked like a living creature. Oh, so or that looked anthropomorphic. Chocolate Easter bunnies. Um, and so I was I was the person who would keep their Easter bunny in the back of the fridge all year and like then bury it when it started to get weird, weird dehydrated stuff. Um, it was yeah yeah yeah. I was a fairly ridiculous child. <laughs> that's that's adorable, Jay. That's very sweet. I still, I still have a lot of trouble with with things like anthropomorphic food. Like, I think it's, I think it's just kind of unsettling. <laughs> but that's that's pretty much what I got as far as as far as Easter stories. Should we should we bring it back to the, the winter holidays? We'll see and, how this goes. At least do Hanukkah briefly, because we, uh, we mentioned okay, Hanukkah, sure. but we haven't really talked about it. And Hanukkah is 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 a holiday that I really love. Um, I used to actually. So we used to when I until I was almost seven. We lived in South Bend, Indiana, and we'd drive, my, my dad's family is mostly in the Chicagoland area, and we'd drive to Chicago every year to do the first night of Hanukkah with my grandfather and my aunt and uncle and my cousins there. And it was awesome. And when we moved to Florida, it was obvious we weren't going to be able to do that anymore. So my grandfather actually gave us his menorah, which was the one that we used every year. And my dad and I made one for them out of clay, which they actually still haven't used, which is amazing because it was very obviously made by a six-year-old <laughs> and parent. Um, but I still have my grandfather's, or I have my grandfather's now. My parents had it for a long time, and it broke in one of a series of moves. But right now, I have it, and it's 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 held together with wire. I need to actually find someone who works in brass and get it properly fixed one of these days, or soldered back together, just somehow transformed. But I, I do have it, um, and actually have it with me here, and I, I use that every year. And... I had a long, complicated history with Hanukkah too, mostly because during during self-righteous, obnoxious periods in my life, I got very, very pissed off at the idea of a holiday that it was about a miracle, mostly to excuse not having it be a holiday about a war victory. Mm. Um, but at this point, I really just, I like it for the ritualism. I like it. I like that it's a, a light festival during the darkest time of year. And I like the idea that you can take things that have ugly histories and reclaim them and change their meaning and acknowledge where they come from, but make them into something that's more positive. And I also just really love latkes. Oh, latkes are great. We actually had uh, potato pancakes for breakfast this morning. Um, this is going to be a weird nerdy thing, but I feel like this podcast is the place to say it. The Morlock ritual of light in a lot of ways kind of reminds me of Hanukkah. Like that's the association that my brain immediately goes to. The idea of bringing light Aww. into that darkness and, you know, hope amid despair and all that sort of thing. So are we saying that the Morlocks are crypto-Jewish? Either that or that the Maccabees were hanging out in a pocket dimension that they were taken to by Mikhail Rasputin. Hard to say. I mean, it does kind of go with the the theme that goes with Hanukkah of, of being repressed to a point that you have to exist functionally in secret, hide your identity, etc. Like, that's where the whole dreidel thing comes from. Is is disguising ritual and religious study as as playing games? Yeah. Okay. So I I feel like there are parallels to be made here, and I feel like people uh, there are probably some people that like Xavier Files or women write about comics or something that would do a far better job of that than us. I mean, I'm sure that there's been writing about that as well. There there has the the connections and 
especially the ethical and philosophical connections between Judaism and superhero comics are well studied and documented and really cool. That's a very good point. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite examples of that is the amazing adventures of Cavalier and clay, which I, I love that book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It does a lot with that, but there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot about Superman and his origins and the idea of superheroes and what they mean that sort of relate to a lot of, a lot of Jewish philosophy and the idea of, of, that there, there, there's a great phrase. I, I don't know it in Hebrew, but it's it's inexact translation. Is it is not your responsibility to finish the work, but nor are you permit, permitted to stop to to abandon it. Um, that actually works really well as a, a superhero philosophy. Yeah, and just the idea of doing what you can to make the world a better place and to right wrongs where you see them. Like that's that's an incredibly incredible like that that specific mandate is incredibly and fundamentally central in a lot of jewish thought yeah yeah true well i feel like we've been going we've been talking for a while uh, i i'm not sure how the technical issues will affect how this file comes interesting listeners thank you for taking this journey with us but is there any other stuff we want to talk about um obviously between the two of us, we we come from two, you know, religious and cultural backgrounds, but we are a limited cross-section. And listeners, if you want to show up in the comments of this and talk about your favorite holiday rituals, the things that for you are touchstones that help you get through this time of year, if it's something that's hard for you, um, or that are, are fundamental to celebration and joy... I would really love to see a wider range of that and hear from a wider range of voices on it. Uh, completely agree. Yeah, I mean, we're, we just uh, have experienced a, a corner of that world ourselves. And I think especially this year with, you know, so much separation between everybody, connecting through our own stories and sharing those is a really cool way to do that. Can I can I finish by being self-righteous and grumpy and and social justice about holidays quickly? Then? I mean, it wouldn't be JML's Explain the X-Men unless we did a little of that, so... All right, so we talked about Christmas and the idea of secular Christmas, and I feel pretty strongly that while I am all for re-secularizing aspects of Christmas, if it's Christmas, it's not secular because it's fundamentally connected to a Christian holiday in a culture where Christ Christianity is the dominant, treated as default, and incredibly culturally and socially privileged religion. Um, so I would request that especially Christians who celebrate Christmas be conscious of that when you're looking at and describing and interacting with those things. That's it. That's all I got. That's legit. Yeah. I and mean, that's fair. Uh, basically we should be excellent to each other and, and party on and all of the ways in which we can. Right. And uh, I think that trees, sparkly lights and eggnog with lots of rum should definitely be for the people here, here. So yeah, there you have it. Uh, listeners, if you've made it this far, thank you for, for being here for our, uh, our rambling in various directions about various holidays. We enjoy sharing these things with you very much, and we hope you enjoy us uh, sharing them with you as well. Uh, so yeah, next time we will be back, uh, despite what we had previously announced, in fact, with a review of the New Mutants movie, because that sort of came out when we weren't looking uh, on streaming. It is not a holiday movie. It is not a holiday movie. It's uh, it's a very mixed movie, but, but we'll get to more of that later. But regardless, uh, listeners, thank you for, for being here with us. You're great. We we like you a lot. And, uh, and we will talk to you very soon about very many things. We really hope that this episode is actually comprehensible. We'll see how it goes.